The following podcast is a live recording of a radio show first broadcast by Fresh FM with assistance from New Zealand On Air. Good evening or good morning or good afternoon, depending on when you're listening to us live on the Deadline Report. Kira Fresh FM, this is the Deadline Report with Ben Vigin. And tonight we are going to, or tonight, depending on when you're listening to us live or by the podcast, we are going to be talking to you about the A to Z of New Zealand politics in a post-truth world. And the fourth industrial revolution, aka New Zealand Today, according to Trev, what defines and shapes New Zealand politics? This is my basically my main story for the year for the magazine I put out every year called the uh, Ben's New Zealand BNZ. It goes out to all the cafes of the South Island. Uh, we used to do the whole country, but then COVID came along, so we're having to start all over again. But that's okay. We've still got a really hard-hitting issue, and we're going to be going out. Lots and lots of people are going to be reading this. And we just thought what I'd do is give everyone just a kind of like a, a encapsulation of terminology that they've actually may have heard beforehand, but don't know, really know what it means. Um... And if you want to actually, you know, listen to this, read this and physically, come to my website, thepostmanproductions.com, and you can find it on Google or search or Bing, because apparently I don't exist there. Uh, or you can find me in a cafe, uh, or you can just basically stalk me on Facebook. Um, although you have to be a friend, and I don't have that many friends, because, you know, I love Tom, Dick and Harry. I'm not so sure about the rest of the human race. So 100 seconds to midnight. Now, this is probably the one thing we won't talk about in the New Zealand election, but should. If you're under 35, you probably missed the fun times when the USA and the USSR put out the jukebox in Siberia and played extreme chicken with tactical thermonuclear weapon stockpiles as they reach each other to midnight. Midnight being the point at which the bulletin of atomic scientists' doomsday clock strikes 12, and the world turns into one big nuclear slag pile. The closest point the clock came to midnight after its 1947 inception was two minutes to midnight during the Cuban Missile Crisis in 1962. In 2023, that's this year, boys and girls, the clock was at 100 seconds to midnight, it's now at 90 seconds, and all of those relatively brand new, new US military sites which began popping up in New Zealand circa 2015 including Rocket Lab, which according to the government owns advertisers, have breached our nuclear legacy, free legacy twice. Putin's a dick. Cool. We agree on this. But playing Russian roulette with a nuclear armed loonies, probably not clever either. Tick-tock, tick-tock. Then we've got the other wonderful issue, Three Waters. Three Waters, a topic these days as toxic as the depleted uranium rounds being lobbed around the food basket of Europe, another subject to which politicians on both the sides of the wasp factory play loose and fast on. For example, in 2010, former minister uh, f- under the National Act government, Rodney Hyde, now DJ on the Freedom Platform Reality Radio, said flexibility in delivery water services was part of the changes to the Local Government Act 2002. The government now wanted to extend Hyde's 15-year tenders on water service contracts to 35 years and allow private companies to build own new water and waste treatment plans. So basically, if we fast forward 12 years, what we're now seeing is all the... Freedom people protesting against Labour's three waters were the roles were reversed 12 years ago, and it was actually all the Labour's people protesting against Rodney Hyde's one water. Um, and this is basically something that neither side of the red, blue, blue pill like to talk about. Um, and we'll skip over, actually, no, we won't skip over seven elections. Seven elections is a conspiracy theory of the early 2000s that the new business roundtable, the New Zealand Institute, was working with AI database engineers to unroll a sophisticated algorithm tool to manipulate voters 
seven elections. The remains, the stuff of folklores and rabbit holes are right up there with Lady Di's Death in a Tunnel and Elvis Alien Love Children. However, increasingly, we are seeing the rise of firms like Cambridge Analytics, Bad Boys at Brexit, being contracted by New Zealand First to use AI to manipulate voters. That's News Hub 8th of the 7th, 2020. While the Ministry of Business, Innovation and Employment were found in the early 2023 to be contracting Cobweb Technologies. Cobweb, an Israeli company, boasts they've already rigged 26 elections using AI sophisticated social engineering techniques since 2019 to 20. Cobweb is not the only one spinning such webs of deceit. The libertarian-orientated NZPP, that's New Zealand Advance, uh, who's second-in-command, uh, turned out to be the star witness against Billy Tikaha, draw from that what you will, but the second-in-command, Michael Stace, is a former American spook, found to be worrying both the reactionary radical left and the radical right. His CV lists him as an IT social media warfare specialist. IT social warfare methods were also used by the QAnon promoter Jim Watkins, who uses thousands of fake profiles, AI-generated chatbots, plus an army of both ex-pseudo-intelligence and military types plus civilians trained in intelligence collections and distribution to spread disinformation and to gas delight genuine alternative media and capture and mimic grassroots politics. When Watkins is not spreading the word that Trump will stop the pedos, he can be found setting up domains promoting dark porn. Aye, we're not talking busty 30-year-old cheerleaders here, boys and girls. Watkins is the sound of sleaze. And meanwhile, the National Party have also admitted to using artificial intelligence to generate fake people in their attack advertisements this lead up to this election. Meanwhile, as part of the collaborative project between the Victoria University Wellington technology company Touch Tech and technology entrepreneur Nick Gerritsen, a former young Nat whose best friend is former corporate spin doctor James Shaw of the Green Party, created SAM in 2017. SAM is short for Semantic Analyst Machine. SAM peddled as the first AI politician. SAM is an extremely sophisticated analyst political tool who has the stated goals of learning about and representing the views of New Zealanders. That is, they want to be able to protect our behaviour for our own good, of course. The A to Z also includes the all but ever forgotten essential terminology, accountability. Accountability is essential to the system of any fair government. If you have accountability, any form of ideology is far likely to succeed in the goals of achieving fair and representative government. Without it, all systems, regardless of ideologies or wing types, will lack genuine sustainability and are doomed as sure as Peter Dunn's fashion look. I have actually, in my original version, I mentioned the political parties, but I deliberately took all the political parties out because I wanted to talk about political ideas as opposed to uh, point the finger at any specific person. I mean, I, there was me be me, a couple of, you know, obvious barbs in there. Um, but it's it's equal opportunity barbarism because, as I like to say, how can you tell when a politician's lying? Very simple, their lips are moving. So the other thing which I want to talk about with AIs is the algorithm. Algorithms have the primacy over media, over each of us, and it controls what we do. Standard Harvard law, d democracy, ethnist Christian Harris states, algorithms and regulations are supposed to be a system of governance where more exact data is collected from citizens via their smart devices and computers. And is in fact used more effectively, to, or, uh, this purpose was to use more efficiently to organize human life as a collective. And said for the absence of accountability, and we've spoken to you about what accountability is and why it's very important, 
government, along with transparency, it has become a blatant tool of the corporate kleptocracy. That's basically a system of government where the corporates get to steal everything from you. As they say in the movie team, America, bad intelligence. That's I-N-T-E-L-L-G-E-N-C-E. And if you look it up, that actually has a terminology, but we don't have time because it's such a long-winded word. We talk about anarchy, we talk about three types of anarchies. That's the anarchist that votes and tells you if you don't do what they say, you're a fascist, and daddy's going to send them to a beefer. We've got the fascist, we've got the, sorry, the uh, anarchist who turns around like George Collin says, I'm not going to vote because if, if it was actually your allowed, if it had made any difference, they wouldn't allow you to do it. And of course, you've also got the anarchist who basically is a cryptocurrency with responsibility to launder money and peddle dark porn on the internet, sometimes also known as a libertarian or act voter. Sorry, so that's up out. Aotearoa, Governor Gray first heard the term in 1845 while an Auckland War Museum displays a flag that was captured by the colonial troops from King Tafria. Sorry, look guys, you know my Maori pronunciation's crap, but in my defence, I do bilingually butcher all languages. Uh, in the Huanua <laughs> Ranges, oh God, someone just take me out of the back and shoot me. In 1863, during the early phase of the Waikato War, the flag is emblazoned with the name Aotearoa. When Tauroa found his own bait, he called it Tipika or Aotearoa, and saying that he was pushed by Governor Grace to PR his racist noble savage myth, which was engineered to turn to, in turn to facilitate a land grab by colonial claptocrap. So to clarify, Governor Gray was kind of using this for like, oh yeah, some some Maoris are more Pākehā than others, and you know, creating this whole like hierarchy system, which later became known as the Iwi, which didn't really exist back then. Um, so you know, with the question we get into this today, where we fast forward, also is a question of things like the legal viewpoint is if we change the name of our terror, which you know, for the for the record, I'm actually really really like. Um, how will we make that officially a name change? We do actually find that it's absent from the Treaty of Waitangi, so if we turn around and start putting all our official documents with Aotearoa, this may actually cause a problem in terms of uh, basically all our existing treaties had a different name, and when you change the names, it has a really major legal cons consequence. If you go and look at my A to Z, I talk about Jacinda Ardern. I give you all the A to Zs of basically what her background is. And I'm going to play the theme song for this particular article, the A to Z of New Zealand politics. Uh, and right now, we're going to play you the one song, and it's going to be playing all throughout this particular series, and that is... Steel wheelers stuck in the middle of you. Jokers to the left of me. Fools to the right. Perfect the theory. Does I mean I'm not right? See you surely on the Deadline Report, courtesy of Fresh FM, the greatest radio station in the South Island, and probably all the multi-universes. Stairs. Clowns to the left 
G'day, g'day. You're back on the A to Z of the New Zealand politics on the Deadline Report. Ben Virgin Investigates, courtesy of the uh, Fresh FM, who wonderfully hosts me and uh, allow me to be have someone on their program that's self-cancelled and not into the wakeness and not into the wokeness, just straight down the middle. Uh, so we've got the bank profits, of course. You know, banks are a pretty big, important part that never really get discussed in politics and nobody, politicians, ever actually hold them into account. So let's just break down. After tax profits are the fourth Australian-owned banks in New Zealand. These are the guys behind the Paradise Papers, the Panama Papers, the Y Boxing Warrior, the Gang of Duty, and all the other mismismismint, uh, dodgy, dodgy affairs involving these banks in the last few years has risen to over $6 billion. That's over $16 million a day, 680000 an hour. Meanwhile, no one wants to remove the GST off vegetables so ordinary people can afford to eat too. This is probably not going to be one of the policy, policies of New Zealand election, but probably should be. I move along from Big Pharma, I talk to you again about how much money they make, and all I'm trying to make the point there is that when a company, whatever it's Big Pharma, Big Tech, whatever makes money, it's not just money, it's actually power as well. When you've got a, one industry that has an excessive amount of power, or extremely of wealth, it needs, to have count, it needs to have checks and balances put on it so it doesn't have excessive power. Again, one of these sort of conversations which we don't talk about in terms of Pharmac and our crumbling health system and how that links into things like the TPA, which we don't talk about anymore because the last year you had COVID, 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 COVID. So it's made us all hypnotised that we only want to talk about one topic and we don't want to talk about all these important things that affect us in terms of what our sovereignty is and what our ability is for ordinary citizens to determine their own uh, futures in life. So, you know, on that note, we got the boomers versus the millennials, a favourite one of mine. The reactionary right-wing boomer bigots like to belete on about the dumbing down of the social media-addicted reactionary woke millennials, all the while missing the point. Millennials did not write the present curriculum or invent the social media platforms. Boomers did that. Just thought I'd point that out. Blue pill versus red pill. The cute notion that the mainstream left-wing parties are at their core different from the mainstream right-wing parties. People actually believe this theory, in my opinion, need to be stripped to a chair and made to watch with eyes taped wide open the documentary Someone Else's Country, which if you haven't watched now, go out there right now and do it. I know where you live, so don't, don't think I'll get away with this. I ought to have an all-right surveilling system. No, I don't, but I wish I did. No, I don't, actually. Anyway, Someone Else's Country, which view reviews the impact of the Chicago School of Economics on the New Zealand Democracy under Labour's Rogernomics, followed by National Similar Free Markets Oriented Ruthenomics. It totally destroys the concept that actually that the political parties actually have that much power when ultimately the debt that's been created means that Treasury reacting to these sort of the people that are financing us who have this trapped in this, you know, this free market can do no harm philosophy, which has been proving time and time again not to be true. Um, come from, you know, pretty much with the same kind of indoctrination. And it's pretty much affecting, it's affecting, we don't, we no longer have democratic choice because so much our mainstream party has just been driven by the same lobbying forces. And we cover things like that, brands, we discuss what a cabinet is, we discuss what council culture is, which is another one of my little favourite ones, which I'll just read out to you right now. The two left wings, right wings arms of council culture seek to be a barbecue fork of intimidation with the public other sausage. Both collectively create an anti-cultural black hole which prevents actual non-polarised public discussion. Cancel culture empowers the schoolyard bullies on both sides of the playground. Do yourself a favour and self-cancel today. 
the Kaga cult of personality, or personality as I like to call it, this idea that if you wish really hard with zero evidence, good stuff will happen miraculously. For example, the Democrats or the President Repub Republicans presidents will free Julian Assange and not just sell more weapons globally. The cult of personality, personality, or the cult of the boss, is the object of the creation of the brand. It seeks to create an idealised and heroic image of a leader of a government. Love him or hate him, when you think the buck stops with the pop clown of the day, you've just been conned by a smooth criminal. Trump, for example, in fact, was an excellent president. Well, he was, if we use the guide on cult, cargo cult of politics offered by the satirist Douglas Adams in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which evaluating the presidency of the fictional Zaphod Feeder Box, very comparable to Donald Trump, states, The president in particular is very much a figurehead. He wields no real power whatsoever. He is apparently chosen by the government, but the quality he, he is required to display are those of leadership, but those of finely judged outrage. For this reason, the president is always a controversial choice, always infuriating but a fascinating character. His job is not to will power, but to draw attention away from it. On these criteria, Zephyr Beetlebox is one of the most successful presidents the galaxy has ever had. He has already spent two of his ten presidential years in prison for fraud. So, you know, Trump wasn't anything in terms of the model that particularly new or spectacular. We talk of checks and balances. Uh, I'm going to just summarise that very quickly. If you don't have checks and balances, then you can't have accountability. And that's the kind of thing that we're not really talking about in any of our political systems as we move towards the idea of, of co-governance. And again, this is something that the far left and the far right are missing. It's like, it doesn't matter the co-governance isn't the issue. The issue is, what is its checks and balances going to be? How is it going to be accountable to the people to make sure it's not just becoming a tool that actually empowers the elite? And since the things like the 1986 Constitutional Act of 2004, we've seen uh, repeated breaches of due process to the point that I, I seriously question our constitutional legitimacy of this government, where the uh, electoral, entrenched electoral uh, clauses have been simply ignored. For example, in the Bill of Rights 1688 says that Parliament may not actually empower itself. This was tested in law by uh, Robert Muldoon versus Fitzgerald in 1975. And on that basis, the Justice Cook turned around and said the 1986 uh, act was actually a uh, legal fiction, in other words, a load of bollocks. And this was the same in the 2004, but we don't actually have a media that want to talk about the fact that our government is just throwing the checks and balances out the window. Closer to what's happening right now is we've probably got the votes, the selection is going to be decided by 200,000 votes, and the key goal is of what I'm talking about now is called the cascade effect, which is the key goal of Moctivism. A cascade effect is an inevitable change of event due to an act affecting the fir fir first the, s the system fringe, and then via, so in other words, it affects the edge of the leaves and then it hits the, hits the rest of the, of the tree. Uh, the idea is in, po in politics is to generate fake grass movements using well funded platforms, aka Moctivism, that wrought election spending caps, engage in algorithmic manipulations and utilise data marketing which can be used in a tight election to trigger a cascade effect that targets primarily swing voters, voters who traditionally don't decide who to vote to until the last two weeks of an election. Um, I believe the TPA, the how Labour utilised the TPA movement and hijacked that for their own election purposes is a good example of a, of a cascade effect and, and mocktivism and also believe that the freedom movement, with no disrespect to the front and line of either of those particular movements, but their leadership I think we're actually a lot more tied into the apparatchiks of the main political system. Then, then again, our collective media likes to care to actually discuss, but I can actually state that because I've been to all of these events and I know the characters and players that pop up, and um, you know this is actually what I do for a living. I talk about zone bullets, I talk about collectivism, I talk about communism, I talk about climate change, and climate change, regardless of its cause, is happening. 
that's what I have to say. Climate change is happening. I don't have a problem with that. Why it's happening, I think there are many, many different views, but it's happening. So the question is, what are we going to do about it? And so far, the response seems to be, we're going to go out and tax the people who actually did the less pooping and let the people who fly off to climate conferences and lead jets and eat $45 hot dogs in 10,000 hotel rooms as they hang out with Nazis, despots and kleptocrats, the very people who got rich most of poisoning the world with nukes, fast food, pesticide and shitty computing software, monopolies, uh, decide how we're going to respond to it. So pretty much, well, that's kind of akin to putting the junkies in charge of the medicine cabinet. Not too bright and a pretty rubbish form of environmentalism when it all is said and done. Co-governance, which we will leave it for, that will be for part one, I think, for this particular issue. Uh, Co-governance is Jack Valls, a professor of Maori Studies, Victoria, thinks that part of the reason that the reactionary left-wing and right-wing parties can waltz around using the expression co-governance to spin and counter-spin with ease is because it isn't easy to understand in the first First place, quote that is to say it isn't easy to understand in the first place. The first part is me paraphrasing what I'm saying, so just to clarify that. And thus can be made to fit what you want your chosen echo chamber to believe it means. Val notes that the knee-jerk reactionism on partisan grounds are not conducive to informed public debate. Amen, brother. Val's is obviously a radical centrist, a rare thing in this day and time. Uh, or at the very least, does not live under the illusion that life is black and white. He notes any criticism of he who I have actually, you know, I've actually been actually tutored in this, and I still cannot grip my mouth over it. I'm an, I am should be made to go and write this a thousand lines, and I do deeply apologise. It is a, a dyslexic thing, not a attempt to uh, put down another language. Anyway, criticism of he runs the risk of being framed. Now you know why I'm not a radio. New Zealand. Um, the risk of being framed outright. However, Val notes a third argument that comes from a position that is sympathetic to the Maori aspirations of greater quality and fairness as both in treatment and outcome as opposed in Article 3 of the Tutoriti. As well as a far greater control of their own affairs under the Article 2, the Rangatura principle he saves of this view, it acknowledged that more could see and should be done in Article 2 and it would defend almost all the efforts to release that idea behind its principle so far. However, the authors of Hipopo claim that the Tutoriti demands extension of the authority of the Rangatira deep into to the heart of the Kawaratanga, K-A-W-A-N-A-T-A-N-G-A, apologies, 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 and the third way is in, in the third way interpretation. It is the very extension of this factor that is to say pretty much we're giving too much power to the Rangatira who never had the level of power which has been attributed to it under this form of co-governance. Um, basically would itself be a breach of the treaty. For as Val continues, the New Zealand government is no longer an autocracy or privileged elite under under which voting rights were limited to the property and the class type, which is pretty much what co-governance is trying to say. Like, oh no, no only we certain people got to speak on behalf of, like, um, you know, most of my Maori mates who, when they realise that actually there isn't a power-sharing system Apparent, and I'm, I'm quoting Mira Mara Broughton from the Murray uh, Law Review looking at the co-governance or the co-constitutional panel discussion in 2010 and says, you know, wait a minute, this thing's missing any sharing of power with uh, Hapu Fano. pretty much agrees that that's not kind of cool. And um, Val continues, the New Zealand governance is no longer, okay, sorry, Val notes on the on the joint red blue pill con job that Labour and National Government failed to publicly respond to the 2013 constitutional panel recommendations. If the government is serious about the <laughs> Someone has to take a YouTube clip of this and take the 
the, the proverbial mickey out of me and I will deserve it. It will explain its own position more fully and it will wish us to pursue that agenda or significant parts of it which should set up the framework for further constitutional debate to which all New Zealanders can contribute. Otherwise, reinforced by other developments within government and driven by the conservative opinion leaders, more and more people will come to suspect that radical change is being covertly pursued behind the scenes in absence of public consultation. Such concern will not be good for the current government or for the confidence in politicians and the political process in general. And short vowel accuses both Labour and National of using co-governance to drive polarisation that destabilises society for the worse. Again, amen. And as I explained beforehand, the problem is that Labour and National are actually not answering to the people that vote them in. Um, they are actually answering to Treasury, and Treasury is becoming, with the uh, assistance of organisations like the New Zealand Institute, very skilled at playing both sides against each other uh, to, the, to the detriment of the rest of us. Now, I think that leaves us with C at this stage, and we'll come back to that for next week, and we'll look at part two of our election special, the A to Z of New Zealand politics in the fourth industrial age. This is Ben Vigin on the, the Deadline Report, courtesy of Fresh FM, the greatest radio station in the South Island, and all the potential universes and non-universes and anti-universes and uh, other giggly biggly scientific words anyway see you all next week come back and um, we'll have more for you and uh, let's go out with poly poly politician poly 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 politician can you make a right decision for all of us for all of us poly 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 politician can you make a right decision for all of us, yeah, yeah. for all of us? Pale, 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 politician, can you make a right decision for all of us, yeah, yeah. for all of us? You can talk the talk, but will you walk the walk? Politician
make a right decision for all of us, yeah, I, for all of us. Pale, 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 politician, can you make a right decision? Oh, I, oh, I, oh, I. The podcast you just listened to was a live recording of a radio show, first broadcast on Fresh FM with support from New Zealand On Air. Fresh FM is a community access media station based in Te Tauihu, the top of the South Island, New Zealand. The funding of Access Media makes these podcasts possible. To find similar programs by other community access media stations, go online to accessmedia.nz. If you or your group would like to know more about how you can have a program on our station, please contact us. Visit our website freshfm.net for our contact details.